millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Now, today I want to take a kind of a deeper look at modern British history, something we haven't really looked at for uh, quite a while, and look at some of the uh, ideas that were central to Thatcherism. Now, Margaret Thatcher is, who died a couple of years ago, enormously polarising and divisive figure, um, a figure who, uh, for better or for worse, and considerably for the worse, I would tend to argue, um, brought about sweeping changes within Great Britain in an attempt to address what she saw and what many others saw as the, uh, the ongoing malaise within uh, Britain, a country um, still struggling by 1979, to find its post-imperial place uh, in the world. Thatcherism has come to mean many things. Uh, it's one of those uh, terms that perhaps has been overused to uh, such a, a degree uh, as it starts to lose its uh, actual meaning uh, in any kind of robust way. So part of the pur- purpose of this podcast is to you know, discuss what Thatcherism actually was. Thatcherism was a term first um, come, uh, first sort of devised by uh, the left journal Marxism Today in the uh, early 1980s. Um, but it was um, the uh, her second chancellor, Nigel Lawson, who had been uh, first a uh, financial journalist, um, who came to kind of encapsulate it. Nigel Lawson said that uh, Thatcherism was a mixture of free markets, monetary control, privatisation and cuts, combined with a populist revival of Victorian values of self-help and nationalism. So we're going to go through that bit by bit, but the first thing I'd like to take issue with is the notion that Margaret Thatcher, leader of the Conservative Party, was a Conservative at all. 
Conservatism, in its traditional sense, meant the uh, opposition to radical change and the promotion of gradualism, the promotion of uh, the conservation, hence the title, of institutions uh, and the existing structure of society. Well, by the end of the 1980s, Margaret Thatcher's changes, economic and social, had brought immense cultural, social and political upheaval to Great Britain. So she hadn't really uh, conserved an awful lot. And in fact, there was a, uh, a, f- a fundamental attack on some of the most um, conservative institutions in British society. The trade union leadership, for example and the cosy gentlemen's club of the City of London, and the boardrooms of many British companies that were still at that point either family-run or uh, run uh, particularly badly. Margaret Thatcher believed that these are the institutions that were holding Britain back, and that um, privatisation in the latter case uh, would shake up the uh, existing uh, structure of British capitalism and in many ways democratise it. It would hand the keys of the boardrooms of companies, she hoped, to ordinary investors who would be demanding their uh, share dividends uh, and they would be the people who would put pressure for uh, performance and competition um, onto uh, flagging British companies. Um, obviously, Margaret Thatcher's share-owning society didn't really emerge in quite the way she'd hoped, and um, the great share sell-offs, as we shall see, didn't really uh, produce this kind of democratisation and radicalisation of British capitalism. In many ways, when Margaret Thatcher came to power in 1979, she wasn't the economic ideologue that she uh, was by 1984. She had read um, Friedrich Hayek's uh, book, The Road to Serfdom, and apparently announced, this is what we believe. But when you look at the Tory manifesto in 1979, it is a relatively kind of uh, bland document when it comes to uh, economic radicalism. Uh, It's not that far away from the uh, Labour Party's manifesto but Labour itself had, from 1976 to 79, had shifted gradually to the centre-right as the the realities of um, Britain's place in the world begin to bite. And uh, Chancellor Dennis Healy uh, begins to talk in very much a kind of um, monetarist, more market-led way, saying we cannot simply spend our way out of trouble, we cannot simply go on living on borrowed time and borrowed money, and uh, Britain must you know, cut its cloth accordingly. And the um, first uh, real cuts to um, the welfare state begin not in 1979, but in 1976. Some economists and historians have suggested that far from being a uh, classic conservative, Margaret Thatcher owed more to liberalism. Um, Certainly, Margaret Thatcher was not particularly socially liberal in her outlook, um, but economically, 
she was definitely um, part of the the kind of the, the liberal way of um, uh, viewing uh, the, the workings of uh, the nation state and, and the economy, because Margaret Thatcher believed in um, a non-activist, non-interventionist state, that the state should do as little as possible, should withdraw from the workings uh, of um, society, and should allow the mechanisms of the market to work themselves through. In doing so, this would provide uh, individuals with the initiative and the um, uh, drive to solve their own problems uh, and to uh, figure out their own destiny. This self-help idea is nothing new. Um, it, it was something that was part of the kind of uh, ideology of the Victorian era, the idea that the working classes could really figure out their own problems and pull themselves up by their own initiative uh, and sort out their uh, own destiny. Of course, this is a great way of well-heeled middle-class people uh, walking away from the problems of the poor uh, and leaving them to their own devices. And if they fail, it is really their own fault through want of drink and idleness and all that kind of uh, Victorian rhetoric. Two figures had really laid the ground for Margaret Thatcher's um, shift to the right in 1979. Um, Enoch Powell, who, before his disgrace in 1968 with the Rivers of Blood speech, where he uh, claimed that uh, mass immigration would bring violent chaos onto the streets of Britain, um, before that he had walked out of Macmillan's government in 1957, um, as a junior minister to the Treasury, um, following um, demands, uh, along with two other colleagues, uh, for a, a radical monetarist revolution of slashing state spending, privatisation, smashing union power, and all the kinds of things that happened under Margaret Thatcher. Now, Powell in the 1950s and 60s is considered to be on the kind of the lunatic fringe of conservatism and was so far away from the political centre ground, which was all about a kind of a compact between the state, capital and labour and a meeting of, of the three in order to guarantee a commitment to full employment and uh, relatively stable industrial relations. That he that his vision never really prospered. By 1974, when uh, Ted Heath was finally undone after the the first uh, miners' strike, the um, right-wing ideologue Sir Keith Joseph, or Keith Joseph as he was then, briefly had ambitions to challenge Heath. Keith Joseph had moved from, the, again, from the left of the party. He had been a passionate advocate for um, the poor um, and had become a, a, a passionate advocate for increased welfare assistance until the point at which he began to believe that welfare solved nothing and actually caused problems. His transition to um, monetarist uh, right-wing economic thinking kind of the real Hayekian neoliberalism that we really have laboured under for so long, 
was consistent with an overall shift in the population to the right in the late 60s and early 70s. During this period of time, greater individualism, uh, a greater kind of rejection of kind of old working class collectivism, home ownership, um, the availability of credit, of consumerism, cheap holidays, of second cars, all these kinds of improving living standards began to change the way in which the welfare state was viewed. And Joseph goes along kind of parallel to the population uh, with these views, seeing welfare as the problem, not the solution. Um, this has been uh, this is a notion that is kind of reintroduced into uh, democratic life in the Western world uh, every generation or so that uh, welfare induces fecklessness. Um, it was uh, when Keith Joseph decided to launch an ill-advised attack on single mothers in a rather offensive speech. Uh, which has sort of rings of eugenics to it, that um, he fell out of the, the running to replace Heath. And Margaret Thatcher stepped in, winning in 1975, saying, well, if Keith can't win it, then I must. Margaret Thatcher um, was inspired by um, Heath's manifesto of 1970. Um, Heath had stood uh, for a kind of a quite a centre-right manifesto in 1970, which was all about um, cutting uh, the welfare budget, um, curbing the power of the unions and privatisation and introducing um, the workings of business and managerialism into government. And Thatcher said, well, you know, this is what won the election. And for Heath to backtrack on that, particularly to backtrack on anti-union legislation, was a betrayal of the electorate. And that what one says in the manifesto, one must stick to rigidly and permanently. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, and so... She, uh, in her, uh, as it would turn out, stereotypically dogmatic way, uh, was determined 
to honour manifesto promises that Heath was uh, unable to. Uh, Heath and Thatcher um, hated each other uh, for the, the, the rest of their, their careers. In uh, Hope and Glory by Peter Clarke, which is a brilliant uh, short introduction to Britain in the 20th century, Peter Clarke writes, Certainly Thatcher was an inconsistent ideologue. She was to disappoint the principled exponents of Thatcherism in her own cabinet, when general doctrines about government non-interference clashed with her restless incapacity to refrain from interfering, because she felt she knew best. Some of her ministers understandably saw her as upholding the tenets of 19th century liberalism. Its cosmopolitan outlook was literally foreign to her. When it came to nationalism, she was an old-fashioned Tory. She freely invoked the name of Churchill while turning her back on many of the guiding principles in domestic policy adopted by his two governments. Her convictions were temperamental rather than ideological. She made up policy as she went along and uh, used off-the-cuff public utterances to bounce her colleagues into accepting initiatives that had not been previously agreed. So, what Peter Clarke is saying there is that, yes, the economics were those of the Victorian liberal. They are uh, very interestingly similar to those of Gladstone. Gladstone in the 1870s introduced not so much social reform as institutional reform. What Gladstone believed was that it was important to not interfere in the workings of society or the workings of the economy, but that institutions should be reformed in order for them to work efficiently, particularly things like the civil service and the army, and for them to work in what he viewed as an upstanding and moral manner. Margaret Thatcher's institutional reforms, taking on the institutions that she believed were holding Britain back, um, were part of her initiative uh, to shake up um, the British establishment and the British economy. Um, but she uh, argued in order she argued against um, intervention uh, in the economy itself by the government in terms of. Uh, job creation or in terms of um, excessive welfare. She was um, a social conservative, an economic liberal and a social conservative is perhaps the way to look at it. So her social conservatism um, was around, uh, based around ideas of law and order and kind of good behaviour from uh, individuals um, throughout the 1970s um, youth uh, unemployment and uh, youth crime is something that returns to the headlines time and time again for something that is, in comparative terms, relatively trivial uh, facing the country. It becomes uh, uh, an overriding obsession and the idea that the country is spiralling out of control during the 70s is also uh, something that becomes a great draw people to vote Conservative in 1979 and Margaret Thatcher talks about a kind of return to family values, a return to respect for the police, a, turn, a return to uh, respect for uh, law and order but she also um, campaigns on more kind of global things. She is um, there 
as a figure who believes that uh, the Cold War needs to be um, fought and perhaps even uh, even won. It was interestingly Margaret Thatcher that goes to see Gorbachev long before Ronald Reagan manages it. And she was a figure who believed that uh, Britain's uh, prestige and pride as a nation, uh, which had, in her view, been in decline since the Suez Crisis, needed to be restored. The Falklands War um, was a kind of uh, an accident that happens on her watch, but she was skillful to use it uh, in recasting herself as a kind of uh, a figure of modern British stoicism, this kind of strange combination of Queen Victoria and Winston Churchill um, standing up for the rights of British dependencies far, far away. And after the uh, attempt by the IRA to assassinate her uh, in 1984 by detonating a bomb at the Grand Hotel in Brighton, where the Conservative Party conference was um, staying, Margaret Thatcher's determination to appear uh, on the conference podium that afternoon uh, following uh, the, the, the bombing um, cemented her as a uh, figure uh, of, again, stoicism, uh, resolve and determination. Um, Thatcher had to uh, compromise in her cabinet between those who were what we now refer to as Thatcherites, such as Norman Tebbit, Cecil Parkinson, uh, uh, Nigel Lawson uh, and Geoffrey Howe, uh, and those who had been more loyal to uh, Ted Heath and who were uh, more akin to his way of, of viewing things. The uh, politicians such as Lord Carrington, um, Jim Pryor and William Whitelaw were all products of the post-war consensus. They were all men who, uh, like Heath, uh, had believed that uh, the existing structure of um, British economy and the British state, which was fundamentally centre-left uh, from 1945 to perhaps 1975, and which, again, uh, was focused on maintaining high levels of employment um, uh, to uh, with a reasonably high level of taxation and public spending. Um, people like um, Pryor and Whitelaw believed that this could go on, uh, and that um, the oil shocks of the 1970s, which had fundamentally fractured uh, the Keynesian uh, economics um, that were prevalent uh, around the world, um, that the that um, it was possible for the the post-war consensus to continue. However, um, the view that um, Margaret Thatcher um, took, and particularly her chancellor. Geoffrey Howe, who was the, the the first economic Thatcherite, perhaps even before Margaret Thatcher herself, uh, was that um, a, a radical uh, economic medicine needed to be delivered uh, to Great Britain. Um, the uh, cuts to spending um, and dramatic tax rises, part of which were a legacy of the uh, previous uh, Labour government, were designed 
from a monetary point of view to suck money, suck liquidity out of the system. So monetarist logic goes something like this, and I'm not a, an economist, so forgive me, but that um, the way in which an economy is successfully managed is by controlling the money supply. If the money supply is reduced, then inflation will go down, unemployment will go up, but in time, as inflation goes down, industries will become uh, more competitive and unemployment will eventually uh, come down to an acceptable level as the, the economy re revives. If you allow the money supply to be uh, uncontrolled, then what will happen is you'll have both inflation and then unemployment um, that really... Inflation in the guise, in the eyes of the monetarists, is the the great boogeyman. It is like the the cancer that eats out the heart of the economy. And of course, they would have come to see this throughout the experience of the nineteen seventies, when you have for several years double digit inflation. However, when the monetarist experiment was tried in the early nineteen eighties, uh, resulting in um, a recession uh, that lasted perhaps until nineteen eighty four and a huge public unrest in 1980 and then again in 1981. Um, the resultant um, economic boom doesn't happen. Uh, Jeffrey Howe uh, was deeply alarmed when the uh, experiment didn't produce the results that he had hoped for and instead produced a very, um, a very depressed and unproductive economy. And the kind of the other facet of, of Thatcherism that comes into play by the mid nineteen eighties is privatization. It is the privatization of Britain's utilities, such as British Telecom and British Gas, and the sale of council houses. The council housing stock was one of the biggest assets that the British uh, state had, and the sell-off of council houses came under particular conditions. Council houses, if they were sold, had to be sold at um, low rates in order to make them affordable and attractive to the tenants. The amount of money that was allowed to be reinvested in building new houses was uh, halved. So 50% of the council house, uh, of the uh, revenue raised from council house sales had to go to reducing um, the rates, which were the, which were the local government tax. So it meant that there was 50% less in the house building budget. Well, what happens when one restricts the supply of a good, the demand for it increases along, uh, as it, along with its price? So the housing boom of the mid-1980s, which enabled Britain's uh, working-class council house tenants to own their own properties for the first time, made Margaret Thatcher incredibly popular and enabled her to win elections in 1984 and in 1987. This was uh, really the work of um, Michael Heseltine, the then Environment Secretary, um, who later became Defence Secretary. Um, and... It was considered to be an enormous success by the Thatcher government. The irony, of course, is that it had been one of Callaghan's policies. It, would be, it was one of the policies of the Labour government, 76 to 79, that had been mooted around and never uh, enacted. And various of uh, Callaghan's um, inner circle had kind of slapped their foreheads with bemusement uh, that it would have uh, resulted 
in uh, yet another Labour victory, possibly. Well, maybe, maybe not. Whatever the truth, I think one of the takeaways from this podcast is that we can see Margaret Thatcher as the inconsistent ideologue, somebody who believed in uh, economic liberalism, leaving the market to get on with what it should do, but social conservatism, which often disapproved of the, the lifestyle choices of those who were most vulnerable or most affected by the disruptions to economy and, uh, and society. And as probably with all British Prime Ministers, are far, far more of what happened was off the cuff and off the top of her head than perhaps we give it credit for being. But we'll be continuing with this exploration of Margaret Thatcher later in the week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 